If you would take your scriptures, turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll be reading the entire chapter. 1 Peter 1. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the Persian and Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bethany, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering all the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look upon. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. For if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, And all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray.
O Lord, there are those who persecute us without cause, but only at your word do we tremble. We rejoice in your promise with great joy. We hate and abhor falsehood. We love your law. We praise you all day long, every day, for your righteous law. All who love your law know great peace of heart. Nothing can cause them to stumble. We wait for your salvation, O Lord. We follow your word. We obey your statutes because we love them with all of our heart. We obey your precepts and your commands for all of our ways are known to you. Help us learn more this day from your word. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. One of the most difficult things for men to do is to look to others for help. We don't want to be dependent on anyone or anything. We don't want to be beholding to them. We all want to think we can handle anything that comes our way and save ourselves from disaster. Too many feel as though they are failures if they have to ask for help. Man can do nothing to save himself. If you don't see your need to ask for help, you will die lost and empty of hope. Christianity is designed to show us our need of others and our responsibility toward others. In our society, we tend to look down on those who ask for help. We've turned over to the government the job of of helping the needy. Anyone who has to turn to someone else for help has a stigma placed on them that it is hard to remove. This is about as unchristian a position as anyone could take. We are called in Scripture to cast all of our cares on God, to carry one another's burdens, to give aid to those who have needs in the name of our Lord. This same attitude has permeated our theology and our understanding of salvation. There are so many churches out there today teaching that God helps them that help themselves. Well, I used to think that was a perfectly wonderful explanation of how God works. But my friends, this is a lie straight from the pits of hell. Man was created with every benefit possible to keep him from committing treason against God, but he did it anyway. God pronounced his curse against this treason, and it was death. Listen to Psalm 53, verses 2 and 3. God looks down from heaven on the souls of men to see if there are any who who understand, any who seek God. Everyone is turned away. They have together become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. Not even one person does good in the eyes of God. There is absolutely no way any man can help himself before God because there are none who seek God. There are none who really understand God. The correct theology, according to the scripture, is that God comes into a man's darkened heart. He changes that heart. He gives to that man the ability to see himself what he really is, a traitor from, against God. 
he has also given the wherewithal to begin believing what God says about him. With this, it is made it is made possible for him to call out and ask God for help. Unless God humbles the soul, unless he shows man his own inability, there can be no hope of salvation. There can be no hope of victory over the bondage of sin. Some have mistakenly said, this is an easy way into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because it takes the responsibility out of man's hands and gives it exclusively to God. Well, while it is true that God does the work, it is not an easy thing for men to accept. Peter understands this. That is why he adds these next verses at the very beginning of this letter, which is calling all believers to a life of holiness. The thing Peter wants to remind his readers of is their total dependence on God for their salvation. Do you get that? You are totally dependent on God for your salvation. Nothing else can help you. He also gives thanks to God's promise made to all believers. He gives thanks for God's wonderful preservation of this great and marvelous salvation given by his grace. Let's turn to 1 Peter and consider his words of hope. There's no greater message of hope given than that we are told that our salvation is the work of God's grace and God's grace alone. Peter makes that clear in these verses and that your works are only expressions of praise for God's mercy, for his promise, and for his preservation. The first expression of thanksgiving to God is for his great mercy. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is a duty. It is a duty that all believers are given, expressing thanks for all God has done for them. You don't do this to earn from God anything, but to show your great love and appreciation for all he has done through, through, for you through his grace. How can any mere man add to God's glory? He can't, because God is all glorious. And nothing can be added to him, but we can express the glory we see, and that is what Peter calls us to do. We're to be reflectors of God's glory back to him. Who is the object of our praise? The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. At first, Peter used only the name and title of Jesus Christ. Now he adds Lord to it. He gives it gives two titles to go with this one name, Jesus. He is given the title Lord because he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is called Jesus because he is the God-man and our priest. He carries the title Christ because he is our prophet who is anointed by the Spirit and furnished with everything needed to guide us into salvation. This God we praise is the very God of this one we call Christ according to his human nature and is his Father according to his divine nature. What are the reasons behind our coming to this God with praise on our lips? 
It is because of the great grace and mercy with which he has blessed us. You don't do, you don't, you, you, you don't receive one blessing from God. Not one that is not a product of his grace and mercy. You can do nothing yourself to receive from God a blessing. And that applies doubly to regeneration. He says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth. King James says, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again. Is there any doubt? Peter says, you are born again by the good pleasure and will of God. God gave you new birth. He gave you new birth because he took mercy on you. In your sinful estate, from which you were totally helpless to deliver yourself. It's God who is the cause of your new birth. He is the one who delivers you out of spiritual death, which you were born into through Adam's sin. He is the one who makes you alive. Therefore, once you see this new life and look back at the horror of your old life, you can't help but lift your voice in praise to this one who so loved you as to make you alive. He has indeed begotten us again. Now, my friends, this should stir your heart to greater expressions of praise to God. Why? Because you cannot come into this new life and not grow in your understanding of the fruit this regeneration produces. The greatest and most important fruit is the excellence of hope that you're led into. This is not some dead or dying hope such as hypocrites would take hold of, but a lively and living hope. It is hope that stands by itself as a beacon to all who would gather around it. It is a hope that offers to each one coming its way a light that can be followed no matter how dark the surroundings might become. It is a hope that can take the darkest depression and expel it without leaving a shadow. It is the hope that can take of all of our wants and desires and separate them into what is right and what is wrong. It is a hope that knows no limits because it is a hope of infinitely divine purpose. It's a hope that founded on the, the most wonderful act of love ever known by men. It is rooted deeply in the central truth of God's word, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you have this hope firmly planted in your heart, nothing, absolutely nothing, can ever become so bleak in your life as to bring you to absolute despair. All those God has called and begun a good work in know that he will not stop until that work is finished. Well, neither will he ever completely abandon those who trust in Jesus Christ. Yes, there may be times when the struggles of life come close to overwhelming a believer. But there is always, always that little hope, that little seed of faith that's in the heart that will allow not only allow you to, to utterly despair and deny your Lord, will not allow you to. I'll get that right in a minute. Because of this hope, 
you are always to be raising your voice in praise and adoration and thanksgiving for this great and wonderful God that has saved you. As we pray and offer our praises, we offer them in God, to our God and Father, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For it is only through him that our praises are acceptable. The believer will always owe to God all that he is and becomes. Because it is only through the grace and mercy given us in Jesus Christ that we can have any good work to lay at his feet. Those men who regard as the best of men owe their all to God's grace and mercy. While we also understand any evil found in any man comes from the sin of that man's own heart. Thus we see all good comes from God's mercy and all evil from man's heart. Salvation produces a lively hope of an uh, eternal life with God in heaven. Every unregenerate person has no hope whatsoever. They are completely lost when it comes to eternal hope of any kind. This wonderful Christian hope, this eternal hope is what is we are regenerated or begotten again unto. How does this happen? By the power of God's Spirit. It doesn't happen because of anything we do. It is not the product of some naturally occurring process. It is the free act of God's grace. Everyone who is begotten by God's Spirit is born again unto a new and spiritual hope, the likes of which cannot be found in anything or anyone else besides Jesus Christ. Our salvation and regeneration is expressly ascribed to the wonderful abundance of God's mercy. Our continued life after salvation is also due entirely to God's mercy. In the end, our glorification as we are confirmed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ will be exclusively by God's mercy. There is no greater expression of hope to be found. The foundation of this hope is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is death that holds the unregenerate in bondage. It is sin that destroys any idea of hope in their lives. Jesus came into this world he came to do for his people what they could never do for themselves. He came to live the perfect life, to die the atoning death, to win the resurrection victory. In his perfect life, the demands of the law are fulfilled with regard to fellowship with God. In his atoning death, the demands of the law were fulfilled with regards to the satisfaction of justice. In his resurrection, the demands of the law with regard to hope were settled. The promise of the Old Testament was that God would become your God and you would become his people. It was in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that this promise was fulfilled. First, it was fulfilled in the Holy Spirit coming out from behind the veil in the temple and taking up residence in the hearts of men. Second, it was fulfilled in that God opened the gates of heaven and received Christ. God received him back into his presence to make intercession and justification for his people. 
This is what made it possible for them to enter into heaven and sit with him upon his throne. This is the ground of your hope, and it is the source of your praise. The resurrection of Jesus is such an important doctrine for the believer to understand. Peter says that not only is this the great source of our hope as believers, but it is also the beginning of something new, something more wonderful than we could ever have hoped for. Peter tells us in verse 4 that Jesus' resurrection is a living hope that brings us into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Please remember, the people to whom Peter is writing, they're a poor and downtrodden group. Many of them have lost everything because they have accepted Christ and believed in him. He calls them to continue their praise to God because they have been given in Jesus Christ an inheritance far more valuable and more wonderful than anything they have been given upon this earth. He says they're born again. Born again into a new inheritance. An inheritance which is infinitely better than anything they might have now. These people to whom Peter writes were Jews. Jews considered the land of Canaan to be their inheritance. They have now been driven from that inheritance and are living in a foreign land. They would have considered this to be a very great curse. In this verse, Peter tells them that there is a new inheritance. It's far better than the old, which was the land of Canaan. They now have received Jesus Christ himself, and the inheritance is to be in him. Our place in heaven with the Son is the inheritance of all the children of God. Each and every one that is born again, born, are born to this inheritance. God has said that all who place their trust in Jesus Christ alone will be his heir. Romans 8, 17, if we are children, then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Here's a truth, a truth that is hard for some to understand. God gives his gifts to all men in that he allows the rain to fall on all and the sun to shine on everyone, just and unjust alike. However, his inheritance is given to none but his children. Those who are given a new heart, regenerated by his grace and adopted into his family. Consider Hebrews 9:15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. We do not purchase, we do not earn this inheritance. It's a free gift of our God. It's not earned by wages, it's not gained by our merit. The effect is produced by grace and by grace alone. The same grace that changes our hearts and makes us alive in Jesus Christ, makes us God's children. It also settles our inheritance by an unalterable covenant. This inheritance comes with four incomparable excellencies. First, the inheritance is incorruptible, just like the one who gives it. 
All corruption is the changing of something that is good into something worse. We understand as believers that to be in heaven is to be absent from any corruption. To be in heaven with God is to be eternal. Everyone coming to heaven through Jesus Christ must be incorruptible, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 53. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Second, this inheritance is undefiled, just like our high priest who is the one that possesses it. Hebrews 7.26, such a high priest needs our, meets our needs. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Now understand, there are two great defilements that spoil this world. They are sin and misery. Both of which mar the beauty of what God has created and have no permanent place in God's creation. This inheritance is untouched by both. Third, our inheritance is unfading or it will never wilt. It never fades, but always retains its vigor and beauty. It is always bringing pleasure and comfort to the ones who possess it, never making them weary or uncomfortable. Fourth, it is reserved in heaven for those who believe and trust in Christ alone for their salvation. It is a glorious inheritance, for it is kept in heaven for those who believe where it cannot be corrupted, stolen, or in any way defiled. Those for whom it was prepared are not spoken of by name, but by character. They are those who are born again unto a lively hope. Thus, this inheritance is preserved for them and them alone. Everyone else who refuses the good news of this great gospel message will in the end be shut out. This is the greatest promise ever made. The promise that one will come and deliver God's children from this world of sin and misery. All who will place their trust in this one sent from heaven as the only begotten son, they will be taken from this world of death into a new world of light and hope. That's where they will spend an eternity in the presence of their God. This is our inheritance, that we shall have a place in rest in this one sent whom we call Jesus Christ. Therefore, we must lift our voices in praise of this wonderful gift promised. When we speak of this inheritance, we often speak of it in the future tense as as though it had done, it, it, we don't have it yet, but are just simply waiting for it. Some people have taken this idea of it being future and have said, since we don't yet have it, we can lose it. After all, we're here on earth and our inheritance is off in heaven. Being a part of this evil world, we're constantly facing temptations and evils and our flesh being weak, can cause us a lot of problems. How can we think we are in a secure relation to our inheritance? Peter, I think, understands this doubt as well as any man ever could. Peter had his problems with maintaining a consistent witness. He stumbled and fell several times. So he comes here telling believers how they are secured in this inheritance, not by works, but by faith.
Verse 5, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The promise tells us that we are shielded by faith, and we know faith is a gift of God. This clearly takes the responsibility for our continued growth off our shoulders and places it on God's. He is the one who will guard us. He is the one who will keep us on track. He is the one who begins the good work in us and carries that good work to his successful completion. The blessing promised in this verse is preservation. You are kept safe. The author of your keeping is God. The means God uses to fulfill his promise is the faith he's given you. The end to which you are secured is salvation. The time when you shall fully experience salvation is in Christ's return. Please take note that it is through the tender care of God and that, you re- that you receive grace unto salvation and then are preserved unto glory. This should comfort all who believe because it clearly shows us that even though we're still in this evil world facing constant danger and temptation, we shall be made overcomers. Please do not miss this point. The preservation of God's children under eternal life is completely the work of God's power. Just stop for a moment and consider the enemies you face. You face enemies such as Satan, sin, and death, as well as a great number of your own weaknesses. The greatest required, the greatness required to deliver you from such a formidable array of enemies should simply jump off the page at you. There is really no power available to man apart from the sovereign power of an almighty God that can save you. Paul is told in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, by God, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. One thing you must keep in mind in all of this is that God's power does not supplant your own endeavor and care for your salvation. Paul says you're to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is not saying you work to earn salvation, but that you work within the process of salvation God has begun in your heart. You come to to this work of salvation totally at God's good pleasure, and once in it, you can see how absolutely unworthy you are before such a holy God. Therefore, you learn you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You put every bit of the effort you can muster into living a life of obedience. You don't do that to earn salvation. You do it to show appreciation for what God has promised as your inheritance, eternal life with him in heaven. Why should you offer up praise for something that is yet to be revealed in its final glory? Because it is ready and waiting for you. Peter says it is ready to be revealed in the last time. There are three important reasons why you as a believer should praise God for this coming salvation. First, it is already prepared and is waiting to be revealed on the day of final judgment. You don't have to engage in any work to earn it. You don't have to purchase it. It's ready and waiting. Second, even though it is ready, 
It continues to be a mystery. Yes, it's, it is a hidden and it is a mystery, especially to those who are spiritually blind to the ignorant of this world who don't even desire to inquire about it. Yet it is also still a mystery in many aspects to believers. Listen to 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Third, you offer praise for this final glory because you are promised. Promised that on that last day of judgment, this new life will be fully and completely revealed. Is this In this you find that life and immortality are brought to light by the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no other way to understand and know this but to study the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see that only in your physical death will the full and glorious understanding of life be shown. Because in that day, you will be joined with your creator in an eternal relationship, a relationship that can never again be threatened by sin. You will be raised with your Lord and given a place of permanence at his side that shall never be taken from you, for he promises your perseverance. Peter opens this letter with a very comforting message to poor downtrodden and weak believers. He says, take heart and hold on, for this work is not yours, but God's, and he will not let you down. His mercy is great, and his promise true. His perseverance is eternal. Lift your voices in praise, and do not stop praising his holy name, because he is the almighty God, who is the one, only one, capable of doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. You don't need to worry over your salvation. All you have to do is place your trust in Jesus Christ and turn from your own efforts at trying to save yourself. It is through the works of Christ in his perfect life, his death on Calvary's cross, and his victory over the grave that your salvation was secured. He's done everything for you you could not do for yourself. Christ has taken that salvation and brought it to heaven to the very foot of God, the Father's throne. It has been carefully preserved for you and is guaranteed. He promises that when you call on Christ's name, when you commit your life to him, nothing, absolutely nothing, will stop you from coming and collecting the reward of eternal life. Let's pray. How our hearts are filled with joy, O Lord, as we listen to the wonderful good news of our salvation. You sent Jesus Christ into this world as your only begotten Son. He came to show us your love. He made us know that our cause was not hopeless because of his works. Through him we know this is eternal life, that we may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to understand. For we know without your help, we're lost forever. Minister in our hearts this week and guide us ever deeper and deeper into this glorious knowledge of your love and grace through Jesus Christ. Amen. You would take your hymnals and turn to hymn 700, Come We That Love the Lord.
you stand, please.